This is Heather Vickery with the Brave Files podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 269, Black Panther Movie Review. Chris McBrien along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Uh, This week we're going to take a look at Black Panther, which is celebrating its fifth anniversary since its theatrical release. But before we get to our movie review, Derek, what pop culture have you been able to take in this past week, my friend? Hey, Chris, uh, I have a book and then I have a couple of movies, a couple of new movies and a couple of old movies. I'm going to start with the book. Okay. So, um, had a chance to finish uh, listening again through Audible, uh, right. listening to a book. I, and you know me, I'm uh, I like sci-fi as a genre, so I tend to listen to a lot of sci-fi and fantasy and things like that. Um, I was looking for something again. It was just a, a random internet search. I punched in some keywords and said, "I'm looking for a book that sort of meets these parameters." And then as I was reading through the list, this one sort of caught my attention. And so the book is called Lost in Time, and it's uh, it's a time travel book, which that was one of the key things I was looking for in my sci-fi was some time travel, and. Uh, I mean, I enjoy the the time travel gimmick in movies and TV shows, but I find that there are often a lot of problems with time travel stories. I find that authors can often get kind of lazy and just, oh, and then time travel happens and all the problems get solved. And you're like, want, want. That was kind of disappointing. But this one had some really good reviews and it was very cryptic. Like clearly there was parts of the book that the reviews didn't really want to give away. And so I'm like, okay, the book, uh, the audio book ran, I think, about 10 hours. And I'm about six, seven hours in, and I'm like, okay, I'm I'm interested, but I'm not loving it, loving it, but I'm, I'm more than halfway. So at this point, I'll, let's just play it through. Well, then about two-thirds of the way through, something pretty significant happens, and suddenly I'm like, okay, now I'm really interested. Let's see where this goes next. And the last third of the book, like the third act, was fantastic, and This was one of the best uses of time travel I've had in pop culture in a very long time. It was very satisfying. The rules they established were never broken. Everything made perfect sense. There were no paradoxes or anything weird. Like it's always the thing with time travel. You're like, well, if that got changed, then how could that have happened in the first place? No, they get into that and all their time travel rules make sense. Nobody changes anything. Everything that's happened has already happened, whether they're going backwards or forwards in time. It was really good. It's called Lost in Time. The author is A.G. Riddle. Uh, Apparently, A.G. Riddle has written like over 20 20 books. Uh, This one was from 2022. So just last year, it was nominated for Best Science Fiction Book uh, through a couple of different uh, um, award places. So if you like time travel stuff and you've got an Audible account, Give it a give it a listen. Lost in time. A G Riddle. Or if you're like me, you would just get the paperback and read it. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I'm old fashioned. The uh, I realized in all that rant, I didn't really tell you anything about it other than time travel. But basically, the premise is they build a uh, the the scientists build a time travel machine, uh, but it doesn't work exactly the way they expect it to. And so what they end up doing is contracting it out to the governments of the world and say, oh. If you have prisoners and you don't want to execute them or incarcerate them, we're just going to send them to the dinosaur age. Then they can fend for themselves. Nobody feels guilty about killing a person because you didn't kill them. You gave them a fighting chance. And so they basically end crime in the civilized worlds because nobody wants to risk being guilty of a heinous enough crime that they would get sent back to the dinosaur age where they know they would eventually be killed, most likely by a dinosaur. Right. So that's sort of the first chapter. That's how they set it up. And then. And then there's a murder mystery that happens and basically the guy confesses to a murder that he didn't commit for various reasons and gets sent back in time to the dinosaur island. So you're having two parallel stories about what's happening here with the murder mystery and what's happening in the past on the dinosaur island. So 
but at its heart it's a time travel story though it was really good it's really really good i really like yeah. the ending was like the last act was good it took a while to get there it was a slow burn but i was very pleased with it cool all right uh movies two pairs for you here so the all first right. two movies uh this year a sequel was released to a movie called the meg and so the movie that yes. just came out was The Meg 2, and it just dropped on home streaming services. You and might be surprised, I, but I actually went to the movies to see this. Wow. So I went to I, the, the movie I theater. My son wanted to go see it. I definitely saw The Meg 1, but I didn't yeah. really remember it. Like, honestly, I really didn't remember it. And so my wife said, well, you know what? It was just on TV a couple of weeks ago uh, because it was obviously coming out soon. And so she had recorded. So she's like, why don't we just watch them back to back? I'm like, that's a great idea. So we watched the first one. Honestly, I was shocked. It was like watching it for the first time. I didn't I didn't even remember half the cast that was in it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this it was okay. I mean, it wasn't fantastic, but it was entertaining. Because it was forgettable. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, why. okay, it was you know, it is what it is. Yep. And um and then the Meg 2, we're like, okay, let's see how this one is. Oh my God. It was so bad. Oh, it's terrible. It was, and I was I was very happy that we watched the first one first because we just jumped into the second one. First of all, I wouldn't have had any context as to who these characters were, and I would have had no investment in, like, why do I give a crap about any of them? But honestly, I don't think that would have made a difference either, because no. it was just so bad, so, so over the top. Yeah. And what I found out later when I was reading some notes on it, it's based on a series of books, like very critically acclaimed well-respected books apparently the author has like a science background and and knows all those sharks and dinosaurs and stuff and has put all this accurate science into the books and then they're like we're just going to turn it into a crappy special effects shark movie and it was like oh my god so the meg 2 two giant thumbs down the yeah. meg 1 sort of somewhere in the middle it was okay if you can watch it for free sure give it a watch so you said you've seen the second one had you ever seen the first one yeah so my my youngest son liked the first one and he, and he was like, oh, we got to buy it on DVD. So we, we got it on DVD and then we watched it. And I just, I didn't even pay attention to it. It was so dumb. And then when the <laughs> second one came out, he's like, daddy, you got to take me to the movie theater to see it. So I did. And I was like, oh man, it was so bad. It was terrible. Oh, man. So yeah, I'm All with right. you on that one. All right. And then I had a little bit of a Burt Reynolds Film Festival. Oh, I'm liking where this is going. Oh man, yeah. what'd you watch? So so I have, as I mentioned before, I have a lot of movies on my recorder and my wife constantly tells me, don't record any new movies until you watch some of the old ones to clear out some space. Sure. So this this was so this was what I did this week. I had two movies that had Burt Reynolds in them. One was on the Turner Classic Movies and the other was just on my 80s channel. So the mm -hmm. one from Turner Classic Movies I went to first. It was called White Lightning from 1973. Ooh, yes, yes. And so now I'd never seen it. Didn't really know anything about it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've I've heard of the movie Gator starring yes. Burt Reynolds. What I didn't realize is Gator is a sequel to this movie and right. Gator is the character's name, Gator McCluskey. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay. So this was a Jerry Reed was in it too, yeah. That I just happened to watch this one first because I'm going to watch Gator eventually when I see it come in the lineup. I've always wanted to see it, but now I'm glad that I had a chance to watch this. So it's from 1973. I had no idea why it was called White Lightning. Turns out that's what they call Moonshine, one of the, the other names for moon, or, or Running Moonshine in the South. That was right. uh, what they called it, Running the White Lightning. Um, it was good. It was I, actually, I think it, it was better than it had any right to be. But given when it was from, it was probably a typical kind of movie you would see in the 70s, like especially the early 70s. But Burt Reynolds, great performance, looked fantastic. It was, you know, car chases and shoot 'em ups and. No, it was good. I really liked it. Especially early in his career. And then yeah. I guess maybe at the end, of, he was actually quite a good actor. Yeah, like he he brought more to the movie than it needed, but it was fun to see that. And then Ned Beatty plays uh, the the corrupt sheriff that he's, he's basically, uh, you know, uh, fighting against through the course of the movie. Um, but yeah, so this, I really liked it. So White Lightning, 1973, definitely two thumbs up. And nice. that was on Turner Classics. And I'm like, it deserved to be on Turner Classics. It was a classic. Okay, great. Then the one I watched on the 80s channel, I just watched it the other night, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas with Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. Oh, yes. Of course. I remember that From one. 1982. And you know what I learned this week? What? That movie is a musical. Yes, I had it is. no idea it was a musical. It is. Charles Durning actually was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for that, where he does that scene where he turns his hat and everything. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, I, I didn't really, again, I didn't know anything about it other than the two big stars. I knew it was a comedy. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I gave it a chance. I didn't like it at all. Oh, no, it's not I, very good. I had to turn it off. I oh, fast forwarded yeah. through the end of it because I got about an hour in and I was like, don't get me wrong. I think Dolly Parton is a fantastic singer. And the, like the few songs that I actually listened to, like, great. Again, 
I grew up listening to country music because that's what my parents liked. And believe me, Dolly Parton is certainly one of the most gifted country music performers that's ever lived. So, and she looks great in the movie. And, oh my God, she looks fantastic. Oh yeah, she looks and amazing. What I, one of the things I did like though was that some of the comedy and some of the some of the jokes are around like sexual innuendo and double entendre because again mm -hmm. in the early 80s you couldn't come right out and say certain things but they did a really good job of treading the line about what they could say and what they could imply and it was very clear that both of those performers in the scenes they had together they were they were clearly having a good time again i did a little bit of homework and it's like it was based on a i think it was based on a book that got turned into a stage play that got turned mm -hmm. into the movie and all of that was based on real life inspired by real life mm -hmm. events so it's like oh it had this whole history and everything but yeah I, I, it, the movie was not for me. I honestly I had no idea it was. And there was there was so also sick. some controversy when that came out back mm -hmm. in eighty two because you back then you couldn't say the word whorehouse like it was not right. It was not common to say. So they used to use the word chicken ranch, and a lot of times, even with the the play and stuff, they called it the best little chicken ranch in Texas. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, that, and, and it, I mean, for those who aren't familiar with the actual uh, movie or the play. The the whorehouse in, that's in the title is is called the chicken house because in the they say at the beginning years and years ago when people had in the rough times the farmers in the, in the area would just bring them chickens and so they ended up having a chicken ranch and so that's what they ended up calling <laughs> right. it the chicken ranch was code for we're going to the whorehouse. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so Derek, for mine, I usually talk about movies or TV shows in the you know this opening segment. Actually, let me rephrase that. I usually talk about old movies or TV shows in the opening segment. But this week, I'd like to talk about a book, if I could. Okay. All right. So the book is titled, They Called My Name. And it has to do with a man named Don Metz, who, okay. when he was a little boy, he attended a Remembrance Day ceremony where they would call out a list of names of soldiers who died in the war, like okay. soldiers that were from the local area. And this little boy goes to the ceremony and he hears his name called out, Don Metz. So he goes home and he says to his parents, like, today I was at the ceremony for the fallen soldiers and, and they called my name. And his parents explained that his uncle was also named Don Metz and he was killed in his first mission in World War II. So his father named him, the young boy, after the uncle who gave the ultimate sacrifice in World War II. So this young boy made it a mission in his life to find out everything that he could about his uncle. And he traveled to the town in France where his uncle's plane was shot down. And he tells the story of like when he got off the, the train in the town, he's greeted by this like throng of people that are like cheering him. And he's like all confused. He's like, like, is there a celebrity on the train or something like what? And the people explain, no, they were there for him because they heard he was coming. And, and they, they explained to him that. All the soldiers that were killed in that plane crash back in the war happened just outside of their town. And all the townspeople considered those soldiers that were aboard the plane to be heroes of their town because they came there to liberate the town from the Nazis, right? Hmm. So the townspeople considered them to be like folk heroes, right? Anyway, it's this an amazing read and it's an amazing story. And the reason, one of the main reasons why I mention it, it hits home personally because the younger Don Metz in the story is actually my uncle and oh. this and this is part of my family story and my uncle don has spent years traveling and gathering information from like a ton of different sources so he could piece together the story of my great uncle don metz who died in his first mission in world war ii and i remember my mother had the letter that was mailed to my great grandmother back in world war ii that informed her that her 19 year old son was killed in the war and she gave it to my Uncle Don when he was compiling everything. You remember that scene in Saving Private Ryan? Oh, yeah. Near sure the beginning where they're all typing and they're typing all the letters and they're typing all the letters like back home to to um, to war widows and, 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 and fathers and stuff. And we regret to afford you, you know, your son's been killed in the war. And then they hand them all into the, the officer and he signs them all. Yep. Well, the, the one that my my great grandmother received wasn't wasn't signed. Like I didn't even sign it. Wow. <laughs> like, isn't that awful? Anyway, I just wanted to share this whole story because my topic this week is a book and it's a very special book to me and my family. So anyway, that's great. That Thanks for sharing. That's yeah. that's that's amazing. Yeah, it's kind of cool. All right. Uh, this is also cool. Here's your dad joke of the week. Derek, we're covering Black Panther. 
the movie this week, so I thought uh, I would tre- do... Tread lightly here, buddy. I, I can already <laughs> tell this is going to be trouble. Oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble. It's a Black Panther joke. So, Derek, why did all the pictures come out dark at Black Panther's birthday party? I don't know. He blew out all the candles. I don't know. They forgot to invite the Flash. Okay, that, that was that was much cleaner than I expected it to be. Rocky Three, I think, was the best one. He is so jacked in this movie. Oh my God, does he look fantastic in this film? You I am the tiger, baby. I'm gonna give it another try. I don't watch too many movies after 1989. <laughs> <laughs> I know next to nothing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Boo. So if you've listened to this podcast before, you pretty much know I only watch old movies and TV shows. Derek, you watch all the new stuff. And you're always trying to get me to sort of come around to this newer stuff. It rarely works. Uh, But one thing that uh, Derek does seem to have a particularly soft spot for is the MCU. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, as, as the kids call it. If it wasn't for Derek, I wouldn't have even seen a single one of these MCU movies. So, so far you, Derek, you've had me watch Iron Man, Thor, and Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that's, yep. I didn't miss any, did I? Nope. So it's okay. So now you've asked me to watch Black Panther and it came out in 2018. So yep. technically it fits, you know, in our running theme for movies this season on the podcast. Not, not that the newer movies need to be celebrating an anniversary. It was just a happy accident. Exactly. And, uh, you know, you're like it, five years is still a milestone. So I mean, yeah, it's, it's worth, worth us looking at. So, so the the movie suggestion was over to you. Maybe you can take a minute to explain why you thought it was important for us to watch and review this movie. Sure. Okay. So, uh, as I think I mentioned at the end of the last show, uh, Black Panther is without a doubt one of the best Marvel Cinematic Universe offerings. Uh, if you ask just about anybody, they would probably agree it is in the top five best marvel movies ever made. I don't I don't think you're going to have a hard time arguing that. Now, I think a lot of people, you know, some will put it as their number 1, which I think there's a definitely an argument for that. Again, you're probably going to have a little more discussion, but I I think reasonably most people put it, uh, you know, number 2, number 3, number 4. Like I think it, it safely fits there. I think for me, we were sort of talking a little bit about this last week. I think for me it's probably number 2 or number 3. One of the things that I also Uh, really like about it and I think one of the reasons it was so popular and that so many people do like it even those who maybe have not seen every movie in Marvel is that it's a good on-ramp it is not directly tied to uh, the other movies in the sense that you don't have to watch seven movies to get the background to come into this you can just start with the beginning it's a completely self-contained story Uh, There are a few little bits and pieces and a couple of characters that appear in this movie that if you've seen the other offerings, you'll go, oh, I recognize who that is or, oh, I understand who this character is. But for the things you need to know, they either show flashbacks or the characters discuss it in the course of the dialogue to fill in someone who who is missing those pieces. And they do it in a very good way. It's also the first, uh, you know, you've got the Black Panther who is the first person of color to be the lead in a superhero movie in a real mainstream Hollywood film. It's this movie is a is a testament to the abilities and the greatness that you can get when you give people a chance. You have a black writer, black director, black performers, uh, you know, pretty much everybody who had any significant part in this movie is a person of color and they kill it. They they knock it out of the park. This thing is fantastic, right? You know, the performance, the special effects, the, uh, the, the, the music is great. Again, it's got this great soundtrack. So much of this movie is just uh, a love letter to the African culture. And we did it right. Well, we, not me, but uh, the people who did it, did it right in the sense that you didn't have a bunch of white guys going, this is what I think the black people would do. No, you went out and you said, hey, are you a person of color? Yes. Then you need to be the ones telling this story. You can't have old white men telling the story about Black Panther. That's not going to cut it. So this movie, it, it gave kids, well, and adults, an opportunity to see themselves on screen where they may never have seen it before. You've got, they, they position the, the Wakanda, the, the fictional country of Wakanda as the most prosperous and advanced country on the planet. The people are 
uh, intelligent and self-sufficient and, and, and like, it's it's unlike any movie you've seen before. It's not just the white man goes into Africa and and look at how much you know how how great he is compared to the natives. It's like no, it's not that. It's the opposite. It's you've got the people of Africa being amazing and they should be. And so this movie just was the right thing at the right time, and people loved it. All people, people of color, and white people included. Like everybody loved this movie. I can't remember seeing any bad reviews for it and i'm hoping that after saying all this you're not going to come up and go i think this movie was garbage i'm hoping that there was at least some things you enjoyed about it um but i wanted i wanted to uh have you watch it because i know you don't have all that background i knew it was something that you could watch without having that background and still feel like you're getting a complete story and and i mean it's it's just a, a a fun great comic book movie at its heart so Chris, what did you think? Well, you know, you're right. Like, everybody like really loved this movie. It was really, really popular. And, I mean, you know me. Like, I don't really like the MCU movies, generally speaking. Like, I, I find them to be a little bit too flashy and busy. Like, it's, it's a, I always feel like it's an overload of stuff going on when yeah, I watch Yeah, that's them. fair. But I got to say, like, when you mentioned this at the end of the last show, I was pretty excited heading into this one. Like, I heard a lot of good stuff about this movie, like, back when it came out. So I finally obviously got the chance to watch it this week. And I, I have one word to describe this movie from, from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Boring. Ugh. It was dumb. Like it was the dumb, dumb. It was, and I know I'm a, I'm a cult of one. It was way too long. I kept looking at the time left and it's like, okay, it's an hour to go. So I wait what feels like an hour and I check again. It's like, oh man, there's still 45 minutes left. It's like, so I wait what seems like an eternity. It's like, man, there's still 30 minutes to go. I'm like, this movie never ends. It just kept going and going. So I'm dying to know, what was all the hype around this movie for? Why did everybody seem to love it so much? Like, am I just a crotchety old man? Actually, don't answer that. Yes, yes, you are. I'm answering it. That's the, you hit the nail on the head on the first try. Good job, Chris. We didn't even need to give you two and three strikes. If, but if the thing is, if you look at, like, it's popular. If you look at the box office from 2018. Okay. Top 10 at the box office that year. Black Panther, number one, like $700 million. Avengers Infinity War was second. Right behind it was $768 million. Incredibles 2 was $608 million. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was number four. Number five was Deadpool 2, followed by The Grinch in number six. Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle in seven. Mission Impossible Fallout 8. Ant-Man and the Wasp 9 and 10. Solo, A Star Wars Story. Every one of those was IP or a sequel. There were not, no original movies in that list. one of them is an original movie. No. Sequel, wow. reboot, reimagining. And I don't know, maybe like this is where I diverge from the rest of the world. It would seem like my take on 2018 was what a crappy year for movies. Because, mm. I mean, the rest of the year, or sorry, the rest of the world, you know, went to the movies that year and every single movie in the top 10 took over $200 million. The mm-hmm. number one movie is Black Panther. $700 million for this yeah. boring, crappy movie. Um, it, it, I am, it's official. I am out of touch with the rest of the world. I think because to I, me. I don't think that's a newsflash for yeah. anyone, Chris. I look at this top 10 and it's, I find it, it's uninspired. It's unoriginal garbage. That's what I think. So if I have to say something nice about this movie, I will say it looked good. Or let me re- let me rephrase that. Actually, I feel like it looked slick. I yes. don't know if it looked good. It was pretty obvious. These there was just a bunch of actors against a green screen with a bunch of I, CGI backgrounds put in. The the word I would use is style. I, yeah. I felt this movie had a yeah. very interesting and and deliberate style. I know that again. I've, I've had a lot of time to listen to a lot of podcasts about this and do mm-hmm. some reading. And I was doing a little bit of follow up this week after I watched the movie again, and. They talk about how everything that you see in the film, from the costumes to the sets to the houses to the the, the the equipment they use, so much of it was inspired from historical African cultural things. Everything was a deliberate choice, even right down to like the color palettes of the various groups. 
that represented sort of they talk about the different uh, the tribes that came together to form Wakanda way back when and each tribe had their own style and symbols and color palettes and that was all very deliberately chosen um, based on on real historical cultural uh, um, uh, information and I think that it was all done in a very caring and respectful way that that really was modernized and updated in in a way that had not been seen before that honestly a lot of people probably just didn't expect it to to be that slick and yeah when every time i watch it i just think man the style of this movie is fantastic well derek you're gonna have to do a lot of the heavy lifting this week so starting with the origins of this movie i'm assuming it was a comic book because you know as you know the comic books that i read as a kid were pretty much made up of two things movie adaptations like Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica and that sort of thing and Richie Rich comics. <laughs> so that's pretty much the extent of my comic book collecting as a kid. I was more into like Mad Magazine and Cracked and Crazy. I like those humor magazines, but um, but this was a comic book. I'm assuming. Yeah. So Black Panther uh, first appeared in uh, Fantastic Four. Uh, I want to say, yeah, I got it here. Fantastic Four number 52 in 1966. Okay. And um, often people uh, assume that the Black Panther character was named because of or was inspired by the Black Panther political uh, revolutionaries, the political party. I guess mm-hmm. they weren't really a party, but um, which is not true. The, the character appeared in the comic almost a full year before the Black Panther Party actually originally originated. But it's a common misconception um, given the timing. I mean, this was the, the 60s in the U.S. and there was a lot going on. Um, and then over the years. But again, it was created by two white guys, right? It was uh, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee who, who created um, uh, the original Black Panther character. But into geez probably not in not in up until like the 90s before you actually or even possibly even to the early 2000s before they had black writers uh and black artists working on this character and so up until then it was black panther was sort of a secondary character he was never never had his own comic book was always just someone who appeared uh, as part of an ensemble maybe was a guest you, you know when the, the writers were like let's have a, a story arc where the the fantastic four or the avengers or the x-men need to travel to africa for some reason it's like well since they're going to africa let's introduce a thing where they go to wakanda and black panther shows up it's like yeah okay why not um and then eventually when you had um you know black artists and black writers coming to it they were able to bring stories that were were more genuine and and it revolutionized the character. Uh, you know, again, when you have people that can relate to the characters telling those stories, they're going to seem more they're going to be more interesting, going to be more genuine. And, and the audiences could relate to that. And so the character became very, very popular, um, you know, in the last 20, 25 years. And and so a lot of the things that you see in this movie, some of the basic concepts were introduced right in the beginning, way back in the 60s. But a lot of the more nuanced pieces were introduced in the last 20 years as as more people of color have been able to become part of the creative team who have who have uh, helped define the Black Panther character and all the supporting characters to to flesh it out and make it uh, make it more holistic and give it a cleaner, bigger picture. Because, yeah, if you go back to the 70s and 80s, like a lot of pop culture back then, there wasn't a lot of comic books or superheroes even for a black audience. There was no. Luke Cage. Didn't they make a streaming show out of that a few years back? Luke yeah, Cage? it was uh, Netflix did a, a, a series of shows featuring Marvel characters, uh, one of which was um, Luke Cage, Power Man. Luke Cage, and, yeah. and there was also Black Lightning, but that was pretty exploitative. I mean, Black Lightning, Lightning was this inner city school teacher that tried to hide his identity. He used to wear an Afro wig and he would talk and jive to try and cover up the fact that he was educated. Pretty much just 70s black exploitation yeah. in comic book form. I mean, so that was, you know. So Well, again, when you got old white men, yep. you know, pulling the purse strings and and trying to, you know, tell tell their reading audience this is this is, you know, who we think is reading comics. We think it's it's you know, it's it's white kids. They they they're not putting anybody uh they're not putting minorities in in big roles into the comic books because they don't believe that p- 
people other than white kids are reading these comics. And I mean, they, they learned eventually that they were so wrong. And, you know, it's the same with women. You don't see a lot of strong women characters. You don't see people of color. You don't see any of that. It's not until the, you know, the mid eighties, you start to see a little bit more of it. The nineties, you start to see more of it, but it's not until the more closer to the two thousands, you really start to see representation in comics. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the cast of this movie. So we'll start with Chadwick Boseman. So he died. R.I.P. Chadwick Boseman. Yep. He died obviously in 2020. He's only 43 years old. He died from colon cancer. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a talented and very beloved actor. Now, because I I don't watch these MCU movies, and so I I actually I had no idea who he was. So maybe this is an opportunity, Derek, for you to educate me a little bit uh, on him and his work. Uh, who Chadwick Boseman? Yeah. So I mean, I I actually first remember seeing him in the movie. Was it 42? The one the uh, the baseball movie. I mean, that's where I first remember seeing right. him on the big screen. And then, he, I mean, he he had done other things. He, According to the IMDb here, he's had 34, um, 34 roles as a performer. Yeah, Jackie Robinson, uh, 42, in 19, uh, 2013 was when that okay. came out. I mean, he had done other things before that, a lot of guest, guest appearances on TV shows and things of that nature. And then, yeah, but I mean, he appeared in Captain America Civil War, uh, which was the third Captain America movie and um, that was where he appeared first in this role as T'Challa the Black Panther and then uh, that was in 2016 and then two years later he comes into this one as Black Panther God. yeah but uh, yeah he did uh, again not a, not a, um, a long career obviously he yeah. he was ill towards the end of it but uh, he was in a movie called uh, Marshall where he played Thurgood Marshall that was very well received in 2017 um, Five Bloods um, got really good reviews as well. He was in that in 2020. Um, I think I want to say he was nominated for an Oscar for that one. Actually, I think if he had won it, it would have been, uh, yeah, he was nominated for an Oscar for that. But, um, so again, he, he was a talented performer. I mean, Hey, good looking guy. And, uh, uh, you know, I think he did a great job as black Panther, but, uh, unfortunately, you know, illness, not much you can do though with that. Once you get, you get it, it's, you start counting the days. So, right. So, so I'll be honest. One thing I really struggled with in this movie were the accents, the the African accents. I don't know if they were Kenyan or or what they were modeled after. I I really struggled to understand what the actors were saying. So about half an hour in, I actually switched on the closed captioning, and that actually helped. So that 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 made things easier. But I, and I understand why they did it. I mean, I get it. I mean, these characters are from Africa, so you don't just go and and drop their accents for, you know, for the ease of North American audiences, you know, like that's just dumb. So I get why they had them use the accents, but I'm just, I'm just saying like, I, I did struggle to understand what they were saying at times until they put the subtitles on. So I don't know. I, I've always had a good ear for accents. So yeah. I, I didn't feel it was uh, an issue at all, but I, I can, again, I can remember somebody telling me that they couldn't understand the accents in the movie train spotting. I'm like, yep. really? Yep. Yeah, I can so, understand that too. Some people, yep. some people, you know, they just they have trouble uh, uh, distinguishing it. So sure, but again, good solution to you is throw on the closed captioning. There you go. Yep. yep. Uh, so I want to mention also Michonne from The Walking Dead, uh, Denai Guerrera. Yep. My wife and I watched The Walking Dead, even though it like totally sucked after the first couple of seasons. My my wife made me watch it all the way to the end, and Denai Guerrera played Michonne there, mm-hmm. and she was really good at that. I mean, like, I, I remember she was a standout. She, man, she's in good shape. Like, she is fit, man. That girl hits the gym. No two ways about it. Yeah. And another one that I, I want to talk about is Lapita Nwongo. I remember seeing her in 12 Years a Slave, and she yep. was really good in that movie. What um, an Oscar. She is one of those actors you just cannot take your eyes off when she's on the screen. She has a ton of on-screen presence. Yeah, I mean, it helps that she's like absolutely beautiful. Oh my but, god, is she ever? Oh my god, but she's also like a very talented actress. Although the thing is, I don't think she's done a lot though, has she? Uh, I like I haven't really seen her in much else other than Twelve Years a Slave and this. But well, she's she's done a couple of the um, Jordan Peele horror films. Honestly, they're they're not my bag, but so I haven't seen them all. But uh, I know that she's done that, and and unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately. She was in the new Star Wars movies, the three new Star Wars movies. She just did voice work, though. And that was sort of one of the big criticisms. Like, why do you have a performer this great in your movie and then not even show them in the movie? It's like, are you kidding me? Oh, because she played that, like, Maz Kanata or whatever, the one yeah. with, the, with big goggles. With the big goggles, Didn't even yeah. look like her. And I think, so like, yeah, why would you have her voice act? Just have, have a, bring in a voice actor. Like, uh, 
Um, yeah, she was in. Sorry, she, I got it here. She was in yeah. the movie Us, the the Jordan Peele one, which okay. I have not seen. Us. Her IMDb is not nearly as long yet either. Again, she's fairly young still. Yeah, I mean that's true. But yeah, Twelve Years a Slave was like the breakout for her, and then after that, it was yeah, she's still working, obviously mm-hmm. doing well. Okay, I want to mention Michael B. Jordan. I, I I I'm not familiar with him and his work, and of course, I watch nothing new, so no surprise there. But I will say, like this guy just oozes charisma. Oh my god, yeah. Oh my god. So um, there were also two actors that I I had to look up because I just. I couldn't quite put my finger on where I knew them from. I was watching them like, where do I know these guys from? So they were the actors that played Ross and Clow. So Ross was Martin Freeman. Yep. And I'd seen him in the marketing for The Hobbit because I haven't seen those movies, but I recognize him like from the posters and stuff. And Clow was played by Andy Serkis. Yeah. Who, who's Claw. It's it's pronounced Claw. Like oh, sorry, a, Claw. Like a talent or Claw. It's claw. spelled funny, but it's right. pronounced Claw. He is known as a, how would you call it, a stop motion capture actor? It was really more motion capture, whatever they call yeah. it. Yeah. Not stop motion capture. No, no, no. He's not yeah, playing an ad. He was, uh, he's he not was a Gollum in Lord of the Rings, yeah, right? And then he yeah. was in the new Planet of the Apes remakes, the the, right. the reimaginings. He was he was Caesar, the main ape in all three of those yeah. movies. I think he was King Kong. I was going to say, I think he was King Kong too, right? So. Yeah. So he's he's definitely done a lot of that work. and But he's he's getting more work now. Where you get to actually see see him as him, like in this obviously a very small part here, but it was an interesting villain, um, and that character that he plays appeared in one of the previous Avengers movies. Again, a very small part. So if you had seen that, you were you were familiar with like uh, with that character. Um, and then there was another movie that I watched like just a few months ago, um, a British television movie called uh, based on the character Luther, and uh, Andy Serkis played the villain in that as himself, like without makeup or motion mm-hmm. capture. And he was really good in that too. Yeah, I mean, the motion capture stuff, it's like, I don't know. I mean, they just take these little pads and they stick them on his body and he moves around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that a big deal? I mean, I guess that's the future of acting in the CGI world or something. I don't know. But I mean, like, <laughs> big deal. So uh, another guy that I recognized was, he, he was kind of like the right-hand man. I recognized him from the movie Get Out. Yeah. That, was, that movie was really good. I like that movie. I don't like I say I don't watch a lot of new movies, but my wife did get me to watch that one and I liked yeah. it. Yeah. He uh so I recognized him from this. Yeah, he won an Oscar for um Judah and the Black Messiah uh, a couple of years back. Okay. I'm trying to think of his and Michael Kalulia. That's Okay. Him. Okay, that, that's it. I want to mention Forrest Whitaker too because this guy has been a working actor like forever. And he played Idi Amin in The Last King of Scotland and won Oscar back mm-hmm. in uh 2006. Mm-hmm. On that, and he's done a ton of parts over the years. But for me, of course, he'll always be Charles Jefferson from yep. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yep. <laughs> they yep. steal his car and they crash it, and he's like, "Yep, my brother's gonna, sh- my brother's gonna kill us." And Sean Penn's like, "Well, what's it gonna be? Is he gonna, sh- or is he gonna kill us? <laughs> First, he's gonna." Sh- then he's going to kill us. <laughs> so and then they make it look like it's the other football team that does it. So he goes yep. and destroys them. So I, I always remember Fortis Whitaker from that. It was so good. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about Wakanda, this country. Yep. Because it's got this hidden identity. Like they, they have all these powers that come from this metal called vibranium. Yep. You know, which totally sounds like a made up name. By the way, it is a made-up name. You know, it's like the stuff in Avatar. What was it? Like, unobtainium. That was unobtainium. <laughs> it's really hard to get, so let's call it unobtainium. It's hard to obtain. Like, so what's up with vibranium? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, a lot of comic book movies rely on this sort of trope, don't they? Yeah. Vibranium, well, I mean, unobtainium. Remember in, uh, Kryptonite? You know, like can't forget it, that one. Yeah, and I mean, with uh, in Marvel as well, with uh, the X Men, the character Wolverine, he's got the metal skeleton. It's adamantium. So yeah. those are their two big uh, fictional metal composites in uh, in the Marvel use. It's the vibranium and the adamantium. So yeah, again, it's just just a fictional yeah. guffin to keep the story moving. I guess. So Wakanda looks like from the outside, like it's this poor country that doesn't engage in international trade or it doesn't accept foreign aid and all this. But I guess if you pass through this force field thing, you get to get like in the real Wakanda and it's a CGI world where everything's like lush and vibrant and all. The one thing that got me was all those waterfalls. Mm-hmm. Man, if that place was real, boy, that would be something. Let me tell you. 
Um, and then like some of the people there. So there was the one guy with like that huge plate lip and my son was watching it with me and he's like, what the hell is that? And I'm trying to explain to him. It's like a decorative thing. It's almost like jewelry, I guess. And, and he's like, oh, like an ear spacer. I'm like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, don't get one. And I then, like that. Sorry, just to build on that. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know the cultural significance of that, but I'm sure it, it obviously has one. And I, I'm not even going to pretend to guess what it is if I, you know, I, I'm going to look it up and find the right answer. But I like that that character always was dressed in a suit, like a literal like it looked like an Armani style suit. So, you know, whereas some of the other characters had what you might think of as a more stereotypical traditional style African garb where it's a lot of like loose layers and robes and things of that nature. The guy who had the the plate in his lip very deliberately and very specifically always had like the the most prim and trop, proper like American style suit. And I thought that was an interesting choice so that you weren't necessarily going to, you know, have some ignorant white person point and go, Look at that guy. He's got that lip thing and the way he's dressed. It's like it's almost like a, a a deliberate point to say, yeah, you might think that, you know, the lip, the plate in the lip is some thing you don't understand that you want to ridicule. But look at how he's dressed. He's clearly the most the, the most well-dressed guy in the room. Like it, I, I thought that was an interesting and, and clearly a deliberate choice to to take something that could have potentially been made fun of. And, and then you you turn it around and you're like. How do you make fun of a guy who's dressed like that? Like, come on. He just looks amazing. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the fight scene, like on the edge of the kind of waterfall thing there. I got a little confused during that. And then my son, you know, he had to explain to me that they, they like take away the king's powers for him to fight. And then they yeah. give him the powers back when he's done. So, like, I was like, okay. Were you on your phone when you were watching this? They talked about that right in the movie. I was like, either this is really confusing and dumb or else a child can understand it and I can't. In which case, I'm dumb. So I I didn't say it. You said it, but, you know, I'm going to agree with it. (laughs) So so after this part, my youngest son bailed on this movie. He's like, I'm done. Lucky guy. I had to stay. It's my duty for the podcast to make it all the way through. It was like torture. But um, anyway, another thing I want to mention was the shoes I made a note of this person makes these shoes. I think it was his sister or something. Yeah. She's like in the scientist in the lab or something like that. So she makes these shoes and then he's, he's like, what do you call them? I was really, really hoping she'd say, we call them air Jordans, <laughs> but she's like, no, we, we call them sneakers, which, you know, I, I guess just a joke or something like that. Yeah. And Stan Lee makes his usual cameo in this, I noticed. Yeah, yeah, in the casino. He actually had a few lines. Mm-hmm. He usually just does a walk-on, doesn't he? Like, uh, they, Or they give him, like, one one sentence. Usually they give him a joke or something. Like, there's the one in the Captain America movie where they're, they're supposed to be, the original Captain America is supposed to be giving a speech in front of a bunch of, like, dignitaries, and Stan Lee's one of the old veterans in the front row, and then when the guy's like, I'm calling out Captain America, and and then somebody comes out and whispers into his ear and says, Captain America's not here, and it cuts to Stan Lee, and he goes, is that Captain America? I thought he'd be taller. Again, so they just give him some corny joke. So Right. Um, Andy Serkis' character it was missing his left arm. Yes, and this was bothersome for me because you could totally tell they just sort of CGI'd it away. It mm-hmm. reminded me of Gary Sinise in Forrest Gump with his legs missing, where they just remove him in post and it totally just looks off. I don't know. That I found to be distracting for me. Another thing was the new king, uh, what's Michael B. Jordan. Yep. He had all those bumps on his body. What were those? Like, did they symbolize something? They probably explained it and I just... They absolutely explained it. It's called scarification, and and it's he deliberately he said he deliberately scarred himself with each kill he he ever made. The idea that he had racked up so many kills that his whole entire upper body, front and back, had these scars on them. And they they even say that he was nicknamed Killmonger because he was so effective. I mean, in the comic books, again, characters created in the sixties or seventies, they give them ridiculous names like mm-hmm. Killmonger, but right. in this one, they try and legitimize it. And they say like, no, he was a soldier. He was a special ops. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a nickname that they gave him because he was so efficient. One thing I actually, like, you know, going back to, you were mentioning the one guy was like all proper and formal, you know, mm-hmm. there was, a, there was a bunch of people like that in the tribe that were very formal. 
and they're all like dignified in the, in the way that they speak and the way they carry themselves. And then they go up in the mountains and these bad guy soldiers like surround them. And all the dignified people are like, oh, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. I don't know if it was intentionally funny, but I, I laughed at it. I don't know. So I thought that was good. And I noticed the one, one female warrior, like she was wearing red and she goes into battle and she yells Wakanda forever. Mm-hmm. That's the title of the sequel, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So there was like significance there, you know, I don't know. I, I felt the movie was slow. It was, it was dragged out. It was boring and, and too long. And, and I get it. I'm a cult of one. Everybody else loved this movie like a lot, but not me. Surprise, surprise. Um, one thing I also want to get to was the end of the movie. Okay. Especially the credit scenes. Because, Derek, you always tell me, watch the credits. Like, watch in these MCU movies. Like, they include in this important stuff. Yep. So, I made an, I was, like, making a note about, like, this, somebody named Bucky or something. And then <clears> I'm, <throat> I'm looking at my notes and they just kind of trail off. I think I just gave up <laughs> at that point. Can you explain what happened in the credits to me? There was, there was like, two scenes, I think, yes. in the credits. The, so. the first one was with when they went to the UN where he basically says, you know, we're we're from Wakanda and we're gonna offer our assistance to the world. And then of course, what does Whitey say? Oh, what can you do? You can't help us. You're a third world nation of farmers. Like, come on, your, your ignorance is showing, man. Like, tuck it in a little. And and obviously, uh, as the audience who has just watched this movie, you realize, like, dude, you suck. And um, the Wakandans are, you know, at, at, which was a big part of the movie. The whole like, do they? do they share their wealth and share their knowledge and, and try to make the world a better place or do they just stay hidden and, and keep their paradise? And so obviously by the end of this movie, uh, after everything that's happened, that post credit scene is supposed to indicate that yes, they're going to start sharing what they, what they know and, and, and helping the peoples around the world. Um, the, the second post credit scene, which is right mm-hmm. at the very, very end, yeah. that is a, a up from the, so I mentioned earlier that, um, the Black Panther character appeared in a Captain America movie before this. Right. At at the end of that Captain America movie, the character of Bucky, uh, there was a whole storyline, which I won't waste a lot of time going into, but he had been injured and both physically and mentally, and he needed assistance. And basically at the end of the Captain America movie, the Black Panther character said to Captain America, I'll take him home with me. We'll fix him up. And then, or something to that effect. And that was how that movie ended. So this movie, basically, at the very end, you see him. He's now he's he's no longer injured. He doesn't seem to be suffering from the mental illnesses and the, and the hardships that he had previously been. He basically, it looks like his mind and soul have been cured, as promised at the end of the previous Captain America movie, which then now allows us to understand that this character who. Um, you know, was a wild card in the previous Captain America movie is obviously going to now be a good guy. And when we go to whatever movie comes next, which I believe was one of the actual Avengers movies with all the characters in it, he was going to be a part of that. And this was sort of just wrapping up that loose end so that when he appears in the next movie, the fans aren't going to go, oh, wait a minute, how did he get fixed? The end of this movie, they sort of just give you the 60 seconds Wakanda did it, man. They're super advanced in everything. You already saw them fix a broken spine in a matter of hours. Uh, they, they, you know, their technology is so advanced you could think of it as magic. He's all better. So, gotcha. <clears throat> now you kind of alluded to this, but where does this rank up with the rest of the MCU movies? Because there's like 25 of these things, right? Oh, it's more than that. I think they're almost up to 40 at this yeah, point. Crazy. So, where does uh, this one rank, and you know, for you? Like in terms of the order of release or like, no, like my personal like overall, preference? you know, best movies like of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Is it in the top three in the top five? And like, yeah, what's, I think, what's ahead I, of it? Yeah, I think for me, I would say that um, I think the two the two most recent Avengers movies, which so it was Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame was basically like a, a, a six hour movie that was divided in half. So you have these two three-hour Avenger movies. Uh, the first one sort of ends on a cliffhanger, and then you, the second one resolves it. Um, so I think it's—I think most people would agree that those two are probably the best of are the best movies. And you can really think of it as one long six-hour movie that they just broke into two pieces. But so I've those, never seen an Avengers movie. Surprise, surprise. Well, don't jump in with that one. There's yeah. so much you're not going to know. Um, 
So I think that's like I think the Avengers Endgame, the conclusion to all of the the buildup. I think that's got to be my number one. And if, if so, if I have to call them separately, then that would be my my one and two. I think Black Panther's probably my number three. Um, oh, so that's right. The Spider the, the Spider Man movies are pretty darn good too. I think the most recent Spider Man movie is definitely in there. Like arguably, that one might be a, even a little ahead of Black Panther, just because for me, Spider Man's the character that I grew up with, so that one's sort of a little closer to my heart. But uh, yeah. Black Panther definitely for me is somewhere in that two, three, four. I, I definitely wouldn't put it any lower than number four on my list. Wow. Uh, I, I think okay. number three is probably the right place. And if I had to give it a score out of 10, I'd yeah. given it probably a nine or a nine and a half, probably a nine or nine. And a half. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say a nine and a half. I watched it twice in the last three weeks. So it's up there for me. I think it's great, man. You're not going to like my rating out of 10. I, uh-huh. I would give it a, I would give it a three. Yeah. Oh man. That that's uh that's pretty much what I expected. Yeah. Oh man, I'm sorry. All right. Uh what do you say that we do this? Fun with Caveman. All right, Jack. We are gonna play a little game that we like to call Pick the Flick. Yeah, pick the flick. You get the synopsis, then pick the flick. You get the year. So we all know how this works. I'm going to give you the year and the synopsis of the movie. You pick Mm -hmm. the flick. Okay. The common thread, every film, I'm going to make it easy for you this week. Okay. Every single movie has the word black in the title. Okay. Somewhere. Okay. Easy, right? Super easy. We're going to start with an easy one. 1979, going way back. All right. After being shipwrecked with a magnificent horse, Off the coast of Africa in the 1940s, a boy bonds with the stallion and trains him to race after their rescue. Yeah, that'd be the black stallion. Easy, easy. Okay, 1997, a police officer joins a secret organization that polices and monitors extraterrestrial interactions on Earth. That'd be the men in black. You're going to do so well. Okay. 1979. Going back to 1979 again. A research vessel finds a missing ship commanded by a mysterious scientist on the edge of a black hole. Yeah. That's the Walt Disney, the black hole. It is the black hole. Okay. We're going to go way back. 1954. A strange prehistoric beast lurks in the depths of the Amazonian jungle. A group of scientists try to capture the animal and bring it back to civilization for study. Sorry, what was the year? 1954. Oh, um, is it the creature from the Black Lagoon? Yes, it is. Very good. Okay, 1985. A young boy and a group of misfit friends embark on a quest to find a dark magic item of ultimate power before a diabolical tyrant can. Wow. Um, Jeez, I have no idea. It's the Black Cauldron. The Black Cauldron. Never heard of it. No, you don't know no one? Nope. That's from 85. All right, 1971, when Farmer Evans' mayor has a fine son, he promises the Black Stallion to his son, Joe. The youngster enjoys growing up as playmates. After the horse's new owner loses everything in a card game, the stallion ends up in a circus. Joe is desperate to get him back. Well, we already said the black stallion, and I can't believe you just put black stallion two in there. Um, Wasn't there another horse one called Black Beauty? 2016, an inexperienced college student meets a wealthy businessman whose sexual practices put a strain on their relationship. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, 2016. I, I, I know what I want to say, but you're getting a lot of bleeps and it won't be the right answer. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not an X-rated film, I don't think. Uh, um, was it... <laughs> <laughs> it was not... No. Oh, are you sure? That sounds right to me based on your description. Oh, what was it? It was Fifty Shades of Black. Oh. All right. 2003. 
blacksmith Will Turner teams up with eccentric pirate Captain Jack Sparrow to save his love, the governor's daughter, from Jack's former pirate allies who are now undead. Uh, it was Pirates of the Caribbean, and it was, was it something about the the Curse of the Black Pearl, I think? That was it. Yeah, you got the Curse of the Black Pearl. Okay, 1974. During their Christmas break, a group of sorority girls are stalked by a stranger. So what was the year on that one again? 1974. 74. It was Holy a Canadian cow. film. Uh, ooh, um, no, I have no idea. It was Margot Kidder's first role. It was called Black Christmas. Okay. All right. All right. 2001. The story of 160 elite U.S. soldiers who dropped into Mogadishu in October 1993 to capture two top lieutenants of a renegade warlord but found themselves in a desperate battle with a large force of heavily armed Somalis. Wow. That sounds awesome. Uh, But I have no idea. No, I have no idea. Oh, it's called Black Hawk Down. Oh, yeah. I thought you would know that one. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I I must have misheard the year. I thought you said 1954. No, it was 2001. I don't know why. 1954 is like Creature from the Black Lagoon. That was a couple of ago. I don't know why in my brain that's what I heard. Wow. All right, 1974, a mafia buyout of Papa Bird's karate school downtown ends in his death. Bird's daughter, Sydney, refuses to sell and wants revenge. Bird students call the title character for help. Well, if it's about karate, I assume it's just called something like Black Belt. Oh, it's close. It's Black Belt Jones. Uh, okay. Jim Kelly from Enter the Dragon was in it. So got it. Got it, got it. Got it. Got it. All right. 1964. Based on the true story of a white reporter who, at the height of the civil rights movement, temporarily darkened his skin to experience the realities of a black man's life in the segregated South. Jeez. I it, it, I don't know. It was called Black Like Me. Okay. You heard of that? Yeah, I've, no, I have. Yeah, I've heard yeah, of it. it I would never if you remember, that. Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live spoofed it by, by doing White Like Me. Where he played, got it. Where you he liked we went on the bus. Yes, and he was like, yeah. "Oh, this is what it's like to be a white person." Okay, so 1986, a thief Quint is hired by the Justice Department to steal incriminating tapes from a corrupt corporation. The tapes vanish when Quint hides them in the back of a hydrodynamic-powered racing car that is stolen by a hot car ring. Jeez. That sounds very 80s. Um, Jeez, I I don't know. Oh, it's Black Moon Rising. Uh, Okay. I thought you would have got that one. Okay, last one, 1996. A gubernatorial candidate hires a wormy special assistant whose only job is to make sure the candidate's well-meaning but incompetent brother doesn't ruin the election. Yeah, that one I know because that one I've seen. That's Black Sheep. That is correct. Yes. So, okay. So some you got, some you didn't get. The ones I didn't get mostly were movies I never heard of. But Yeah, I thought you were going to get, oh, but I mean, some of those like oh, Black Hawk Down and stuff. Yeah, Black that Moon one Rising, I just, I, I thought you completely would've... brain farted yeah. on the year. Yeah. All right. So Derek, um, we need to take a little bit of a break next week be in, because hockey season actually starts up here in Canada. Yep. It's like an official holiday for us in Canada, by the way. It should be. It really should be. I mean, we have Canadian Thanksgiving uh, the same week, so maybe that's that's no coincidence there. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to be going to the Leafs home opener. Uh, I have a share of season's tickets, so uh, I'll be out uh, enjoying that, hopefully, Leafs victory. And uh, for those who are hockey fans, I don't know why and I don't know how, but the betting sites have the Toronto Maple Leafs as the number one favorite to win the Stanley Cup championship this year. And, hey, believe me, I'd love it if they if they would. But I don't know how they came to that conclusion. Ah, again, it's it's Vegas. They just want to get action on both sides of the line. Everybody in Canada is betting on the Leafs. So they just lowered the odds. That's all it was. I guess. Yeah. Yep. No, but so. in any case, yep, hockey starts. So, right. so we'll take next week off while yes. we enjoy the start of hockey and we binge as many games as we can. And then uh, two weeks from then, we'll come back. And uh, is there a movie you want me to watch or we want to come back with a topic? No, maybe we'll come back with a topic. Maybe one of our top five lists. You yeah, know, that we'll sounds like a pretty that. good plan. Yeah. And until then, we will have uh, 
lots of Thanksgiving turkey and all the fixings and hockey. So, I mean, we're going to be happy up here in Canada. But until we come back in two weeks, I'm Chris McBride. That's Derek Myers. And we want to say thank you very much for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. We'll be right back.